0: You're listening to Red Flag Radio. We record the show on Indigenous land that was stolen, never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We're a revolutionary socialist podcast, and if you haven't listened to us before, I highly recommend checking out our growing uh, catalogue of previous episodes. There's something almost there for everyone. And if you have suggestions about what you'd like to hear on Red Flag Radio, you can um, post them, if you're seeing this on Facebook, under the post for this episode, um, or you can um I think I have an email address somewhere. I'll put it in the comments for this episode so that you can find it. I did set that up at the beginning, but we could do with some feedback and suggestions at any time. Welcome. Um, So this episode, I wasn't quite sure what the title uh, was going to be. So it's sort of partly, I did a slash in the middle of the original proposal, which was what to expect slash fighting an ALP government. Um, so a Labor Party government that's just been elected here in Australia. And what that means, it's been nine years since the last Labor government. Um, Obviously, they're seen as a social democratic party. And I wanted to talk about that from a revolutionary um, socialist perspective. Um, And I've got two very capable guests who have lived through and been socialist activists through previous Labor governments here in Australia. In a couple of different places. So um, we have Liz Walsh, who's in Melbourne with us, who uh, is also involved in the Victorian Socialist Campaign. There'll be more about that coming up soon. And Josh Lees, who's a socialist activist revolutionary in um, based in Sydney at the moment. So Liz, and you've also been on the podcast before, welcome back. Um, Thanks for having me. I wanted to just start with this sense, and I th- feel like it's fading a bit but I definitely felt it and I probably if I am honest had a bit of it myself um, a little bit of joy and relief at the end of the Scott Morrison uh, prime ministership um, some big losses for Liberal Party stalwarts you know the kind of the smug looks being wiped off the Liberal party faces on election day and the next day felt pretty good. What were you feeling I mean as a socialist who've seen results expected go either way and um, been through labor governments before, how did you respond to the result of the federal election this time around? Uh,
1: well, that was a shock revelation, Roz. About your feelings. <laughs> Good to be honest. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I was uh, like you all. I was part of the Victorian Socialist Federal Election Campaign celebration and we were all happy to see uh, the Liberal Party booted from office that the you know the loyal servants of big business uh, had a bad day that's always a nice feeling and good to see uh, Freidenberg and others lose their seat you know be close to tears and so on uh, and you know for the Liberal Party to be basically um, well, all but wiped out in the kind of metropolitan area that's you know a good thing but the reality is that nothing much is going to change under Labor and, um, you know, so our cheers were not for the incoming Labor government. It wasn't that people were, I think, um, you know, felt like things were, were on the up for working class people, for the oppressed, thanks to a new Labor government. Um, and this is more so than in previous elections, the Labour um, Party entered the election promising even less than they usually do, more committed to proving themselves to be in lockstep with the Liberals, that there's no difference in policy between them, uh, that they're committed to the tax breaks for the, you know, for the wealthy um, that they're committed to the raft of anti-worker laws that have been in place for decades in this country, that they're committed to coal mines and more gas projects, committed to torturing refugees, committed to massive military budgets, Um, indeed you know the the sort of lesson that the Labour Party took from their defeat last time around was that um, they offered too many mildly redistributive policies, that they had too much of a program and that um, you know turned off voters and therefore they should offer nothing and um, you know, so the fact that there are some people out there who feel relief—it's in many parts a product of just people's low expectations that they're happy to see the back of, um, you know, these scumbags. But they don't—they um, don't have any expectation um, that government will actually deliver. Um, but that's enough just seeing the back of the liberals. But for us, it's not enough. We actually want to fight to improve the lives of, uh, of ordinary people, and that means building a fight from the bottom up.
0: Yeah. And if people listen to our episode on um, on the election campaign pre-election um, day with Louise and Ellie, you'll hear us talk about how depressing some of the promises of the Labor Party was were. And, Josh, I wanted to talk to you about that because um, it is quite difficult to find anything in the pre-election promises of the ALP. How did you feel going into the election about the possibility for um, – change of government meaning any kind of change for ordinary people. Is there anything promising about any of that from your perspective?
2: Um, The short answer is no. Um, I think this was one of the most uninspiring and deliberately so uh, pretty much um, and right-wing kind of campaigns we've seen from a Labor government in all of its, sorry, history really, Um, and we kind of knew that that was albanese's strategy going back to the 2019 uh, election when you know labor lost and the conclusion that the whole you know labor leadership drew and and the strategy they decided to pursue was to be a small target as they say in other words agree with as much as possible um, of the liberal party kind of agenda uh, in order to basically hope that they fall over and you fall into government um, without you know picking anything that The media might attack you over or that the ruling class might attack you over be a small target uncontroversial and all of that so we saw that play out over the last few years where albanese and labor set about um you know shifting all in in a bunch of key areas shifting their policies to the right to be more in line with the liberals basically so on climate you know lowering their climate targets all of that um ditching any of their policies um about taxing the rich supporting the huge corporate tax cuts and tax cuts for the for the mega rich in Australia uh, and so on. And that was the the line that Albanese took to the election, which was, you know, uh, in their words, we are a pro-business Labour Party um, and we will be a pro-business government. That was their line to the Business Council of Australia. Um, And yeah, so, you know, they tried to in the last few weeks differentiate themselves a little bit. You know, they tried to make out like they were the party that were going to Stand up for you know minimum wage workers not getting a wage cut and so on. But the overall line of march has been pretty clear, which is that yeah they're they're not going to change anything dramatic. Um, and even the couple of things which people might have had a bit of hope that Labour would um, you know take a stand around are very shallow. So one of those was uh, supporting the uh, return of the Pillaiwala Tamil refugee family home to Billow, um, which they are doing and that's obviously very welcome and a victory for that campaign uh, but it's accompanied by the fact that they're only getting bridging visas so far still no permanent protection no movement on any of the thousands of other refugees still supporting boat turnbacks um, so in lockstep still with all of the same policies just making one perhaps minor exception um, and even on the minimum wage uh, we're seeing now you know very mealy-mouthed kind of stuff from labor so they've said that they don't support a wage cut for or not much of a wage cut anyway for workers on the, the lowest minimum wage but for anyone who's even slightly above that they're not doing anything um to fight for those workers Are uh, maintaining wages with the you know spiraling uh inflation and all the rest of it so yeah
0: yeah liz what about your um thoughts on the indications that the alp and government so far have given through their actions or inactions
1: well, yeah, as um, Josh referred to the sort of their refugee policy, um, their one of their first actions um, was actually to turn back a refugee boat coming from Sri Lanka, um, carrying Tamil refugees, who you know continue to face uh, a life of danger, of, of persecution, of their lands being occupied by the Sri Lankan military, disappearances, and so on. Um, yeah, so. Absolutely criminal that the Labor government, one of its first acts um, was to to turn around a boat um, and hand them back uh, to their oppressors. So, you know, again, um, we know that uh, Labor in power, uh, you know, mean continuing torturing refugees. That the last Labor government took refugee policy to new racist steps, um, reopening Manus and Nauru, uh, deporting thousands and thousands of Tamils back to danger so um yeah and of course uh you know the new commitment over the last couple of years of boat turnbacks um you know labor government uh, have just shown that they're just as prepared to use the military to do that uh yeah and on the question of the you know massive cost of living crisis the spiraling inflation which really is a class war on working class people as our um you know wages continue to you know to go down and down to to have less purchasing power um you know, all of the workers, as, as Josh said, you know, who are not on the lowest um, rates uh, are going to get nothing from this government unless we fight for it. Um, and, you know, you can see the state Labor governments in power, you know, in Victoria, we have a 1.5% uh, wage cap for public uh, sector workers. Um, so, you know, what will the what will the Federal Labor government do for federal uh, public sector workers? There's no commitment at all to... Um, to uh, allow their wages to at least keep up with inflation, let alone get ahead. And, of course, we've got to remember the the 5.1% submission that the Labour government has put into the Fair Work Commission is just a submission, um, you know, whether that happens or not is another matter. And it's not actually about these workers going forward, it's just about treading water or even just slightly going backwards because inflation could be higher than 5.1%. you know, and we know they've uh, in, they've said, well, while there's this major crisis for working class people and our living standards, they're absolutely committed to following through with the big tax cuts for the top end of town. So removing billions of dollars that could be going towards improving things like unemployment uh, benefits or, you know, building public housing, um, you know, improving the, the, the lives of people uh, in, in aged care. Renationalizing or having a, a a public aged care sector you know this this money could be put towards uh, t- towards lifting the lives of ordinary people instead. the labor party have said that they're committed to enriching uh you know the top end of town uh, and when it comes to the the gas crisis, you know this is the perfect time to be saying well we actually we need to take gas and electricity back into public hands they need to be renationalized it needs to be under democratic control. Uh, instead, you know, the Labor Party are committed to uh, to everything being run by the market. They're going cap in hand, begging the the big energy companies for for more gas supply, um, as well as uh, throwing their support behind opening up new uh, new gas projects. So they've just supported the new uh, Scarborough Pluto gas project in Western Australia, which is going to massively increase our um, emissions in Australia. This is the time for rapid. Uh, transition to renewables if there ever was one facing the catastrophic climate emergency and now this um gas crisis uh instead you know the labor party are absolutely committed to neoliberalism running everything by the private market Mm -hmm. um and the interests of the capitalists first instead of working class people
0: yeah no, i was thinking about the international scene as well the the whirlwind trip of the um the Pacific region by Penny Wong and then Albanese being in Indonesia in the last few days and the fact that they took uh, their good friend Jennifer Westacott from the Business (sighs) Council of Australia with them on the trip to Mm. basically spruik Australian businesses because of the impact that has, you know, for a soft imperialism approach in the region. Um, And Jennifer Westercott's comment on the radio about, it's fun, you know, it's been a fantastic trip. It's great to have a reset on some of these relationships. It's like... Mm literally no different for business in fact a lot of the business commentary around the new government is it looks like it's going to be better for profit making potentially and
1: and, you know Penny Wong has also been following in you know Darden's footsteps beating the war drums about China as well that you know the whole point of the Pacific tour is to um to talk about the threatening security uh, situation, supposedly with the growth of, you know, Chinese power in the region and that the main aim of Australian foreign policy is about um, combating the rise of China and that means also backing massive military budgets as well. So, you know, under the Liberal government, the military is just... um, increase, 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 and the Labor Party are 100% behind that. And, in fact, when they were criticised, uh, you know, and was said that they weren't sufficiently in support of military spending, they said, hang on a second, under previous Labor governments, military spending as a proportion of GDP has been higher than even the Liberals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll see no no change on that front, you know, in terms of Australian imperialism and its hawkish stance um, towards China. Yeah, just because it's... Um-
0: Wearing a different um, outfit <laughs> doesn't really make any mm. difference. If they talk about we, the Pacific family, instead of mm. they, the Pacific family, mm. it's really mm. all the same thing. Um, but people are like, oh, that's nice, Penny Wong. Our comrades the world. All right, let's zoom out a bit because we could talk for a long time about all of the intricacies of how shit um, this particular Labour government is looking and will be. But if we think about it from a sort of broadly Marxist perspective or, or a revolutionary socialist perspective, Josh, I wonder if you could give us the the quick summary of how do Marxists understand the nature of the Labour Party? This could obviously be a whole episode, but um, some headlines on that would yeah. be useful, I reckon.
2: Uh, yeah, well, I think the broad picture is to first – Uh, start by understanding how capitalism works Uh, and that is that it's a system which has its own you know logic it's a system where a tiny minority of the mega rich own and control all the wealth and the resources and they're competing with each other to maximize their profits so at its core then capitalism is a system that absolutely requires uh, inequality poverty on the one hand alongside billionaires on the other it requires ruthless competition for resources for You know, world markets, that means the kind of things that Liz was talking about. It means imperialism, it means armies, it means spending on all that crap instead of what working class people need. So, you know, that's the starting point, uh, is that capitalism can't actually be made to be a nice system just by electing a different party in who can, uh, you know, do a few nice things. To do that is to go against the whole uh, way in which capitalism works and the priorities of the rich and powerful. Um, who run? Who really run the world behind the show um, kind of thing. So, you know, the few hundred people that we elect into a building called Parliament in Canberra uh, are not actually the ones really ruling the world or ruling Australia. Um, those people are in the boardrooms and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, they're the ones actually calling the shots. So uh, that matters because, you know, even if you had a Labour Party that actually was really, you know, wanting to, um, you know, change more things here and there, they would come up against the real power that's running Australian capitalism, which would be you know, all of the unelected state bureaucracies and in particular, the mega corporations and everything. Um, so any party, you know, historically, and we've seen this many, many, many times, any party that wants to you know, occupy those positions of um, power in parliament, who wants to work within that system um, and in the process inevitably kind of work alongside those that are really running the world, the billionaires, Any party that wants to do that becomes absorbed into that kind of logic of capitalism. Uh, And, you know, within that, there can still be a bit of a spectrum. There can be some parties that still maybe try and change a little tiny few things here and there. But overwhelmingly, that's been the logic of parties, you know, even parties like the Labour Party who pitch themselves as being for the working class, the reality is uh, they ultimately are for the capitalist class because they're for working within a capitalist system, which is driven by that logic of. Competition, profit, uh, and all the rest of it. And of course, where do the profits of the billionaires come from? They come from uh, the working class. They come from the work done by all of us. So you can't actually be for the working class and at the same time uh, for a profitable, healthy, uh, competitive Australian capitalism. Those things don't go together fundamentally. Uh, So you're forced to choose. (laughs) And who does the Labour Party choose? Well, they choose the capitalist class over the working class every single time. So yeah, that that explains um, all the things uh, Liz just went through in terms of already what we're seeing from this new uh, Labour government. So uh, Labour, as we know, they draw a lot of their support, their voting base um, from the working class. They are institutionally tied very much to the union movement. If you were to look at the Labour politicians in Parliament, many of them built their careers as union officials or kind of lawyers or various um, you know bureaucrats around the union movement. Uh, that's very different to the Liberal Party. You won't find a single ex-union official in the ranks of the Liberal politicians. Uh, so there are differences between the parties, certainly, in how they pitch themselves, in their base of support, um, in you know, uh, at that kind of institutional level as well. But once they, particularly once they're in power, they end up operating in a very similar way and with very similar um, interests in mind. So. And you can see that now, as Liz talked about, the gas crisis, this energy crisis, it's a good example of that. Here you have you know, a, a few absolutely mega profitable corporations, absolutely price gouging uh, you know, households, consumers here. You know, we're being forced to choose now many poorer people. Will you eat or will you heat your home? Um, you can't afford to do both. And Here's a clear example where this problem could be solved if the Labor Party was prepared to take on. Um, these huge corporations dominating this industry to you know possibly regulate them to as liz said um ultimately nationalize them but there's many steps even before that they could take uh but that clearly is not you know kind of in the dna of the of the of the labor party certainly not the current labor party um and uh yeah so so we're stuck with this kind of situation now where or, instead all they're saying is throw their hands up or it's the market doing their thing. We need a long-term solution, i.e. let's do nothing, basically, um, and maybe you know, years down the track it'll kind of solve itself is effectively what they're saying about this current um, power crisis. Uh, similarly, on the wages front, yeah. again, like uh, workers here being absolutely screwed, um, left, right and centre with these massive spikes in inflation. Uh, and again, Labour doesn't want to consistently fight for workers' wages because that would eat into the profits um, of the corporations who they want to keep on side and want to keep profitable and competitive because that's what a successful Australian capitalism means.
0: Yeah, and I think it's um, one of those contradictions of capitalism is that people can see the system not working. They predicted the gas crisis. They could see that, um, you know, everyone talking about potential long-term solutions was not actually doing anything. And so these kind of crises Hmm. emerge and it's thoroughly predictable because of the competitive nature of the system and the market-driven priorities, and then people get confused about why a party like the ALP couldn't have done anything about it in previous terms or um, could do anything about it now, refuses to. Liz, hmm. let's talk about some of the historical examples as well of of, um, of the ALP and government. So you've been an active socialist, obviously, um, through some of those and some potentially more promising uh, ALP governments than the current one. Can you give us some of the lessons from, from those experiences?
1: Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, Kevin I guess... 07. I, Kevin 07? Yeah, in terms of enthusiasm for an incoming Labour government, there was greater enthusiasm for Kevin 07, for Kevin Rudd. Um, even It's though, hard you know, to believe <laughs> now,
0: but it was real.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, um, you know, Boring bureaucrat um, with no connection to the labor movement whatsoever Uh, and yet, yeah, there was sort of um, hope that things would be different after the Howard um, era and particularly around refugee rights. Um, After a long fight against Howard's um, Pacific solution policies, mandatory detention, it kind of forced the Labor Party to come to an election with a promise that detention would be a last resort which is so hard to believe now when you know about what the Rudd and Gillard governments meant for refugee rights, that detention was not a, a last resort, that we had the proliferation of detention centres and people being locked up for year upon year, that the people that have been, we've been fighting for their freedom uh, from the uh, the Park Hotel in Carlton, um, the, the refugees who were brought to the mainland under the Medivac legislation. Um, these very refugees were locked up by the Rudd government um, you know they were they were told that they would never be able to be resettled in Australia thanks to the Rudd government. It's not some liberal party policy. it was the rudd government that said anyone who came here by boat would never be resettled. Um, uh, I guess yeah, another sort of moment was the the um the promise to introduce the uh, the the tax on on mining companies super profits, the super profits mining tax, and you know that that should be utilized um, actually to, they sort of talked about, not really actually for ordinary people, but to potentially reduce the tax burden on small business and so on. Um, but nonetheless, you know, that we're going to take some money from the ultra, uh, you know, rich billionaire mining corporations and put that to some other social use. Uh, and when there was a big campaign from the mining companies, the um, the Labor Party rolled over. They got rid of... Um, Rudd, they installed Gillard, and one of her first um, things that she did was to promise to scrap um, their plan to introduce any tax, like be increased taxation on mining companies, which I think is a real uh, example of the nature of the Labor Party. That when push comes to, su- to shove, when they're under pressure, uh, they will roll over and capitulate to the interests of the rich and powerful, to the corporate elite. They're committed to running uh, the Australian capitalism in their interests, as Josh explained, and so. They're under pressure, which they will be with this new incoming uh, Albanese government. That's you know they're under immense pressure. There's really rocky economic situation, the global economic chaos, you know, inflation globally, uh, supply chain uh, disruptions thanks to COVID, you know, the Ukraine war, and so on. And so you know, given that environment, we know that the Labor government, under that sort of pressure from the ruling class, will. We'll probably introduce austerity. We'll talk about how we need to get uh, the budget back into the black. That uh, we can't deal with all of this deficit. That means cutting funding to social services that workers and the poor depend upon. So, uh, so I think you know that moment of rolling over is a perfect example of you know w- what um, what the Labor government will do under pressure and whose interests they'll serve. And, of course, you know, the big question uh, with the new Labor government in in 2007 was the the work choices um, legislation, the very hated anti-worker legislation that the Howard government introduced when they got control of both the the House and the Senate. They introduced sweeping anti-worker laws. And there was a major fight uh, by unionists across the country to rip up that legislation. And although Gillard, who was the industrial relations um, minister under Rudd, the performance of ripping up um, physically the work choices legislation. The reality was that um, they they maintained the architecture of that uh, legislation. You know, huge restrictions on workers' capacity to organise. Um, and it was a real lesson, I think, for anyone who wants to see workers advance that just rolling your campaigns into an elect labour campaign, stopping your mass mobilisation, stopping your strikes, uh, that. This will um, this will not be rewarded by the Labour government. Instead, they'll say thank you very much for putting us under absolutely no pressure to deliver, and instead we'll deliver for the bosses. So that means that if we're going to actually get anywhere, then we need to fight independently of the government. We need to rebuild class struggle, unions, and militancy on the streets. Um, that yeah, in this current, especially in this current. Situation where there's not all of this space um, where the, the the capital's prepared to just grant concessions. They're they're wanting to, um, you know, to rain rain back. Well, not rain back. The wages never gone up. They don't want to see wages go up at all. Uh, they want to see their profits continue to soar. Well, we're not we're not going to get anywhere without a fight.
0: Yep. of Thank okay, a couple of last questions because I reckon there might be some people thinking there's a slightly different situation because of the success of the Greens in the federal election. So, Josh, I just wanted you to address that one because it could be that people think, well, yeah, we don't trust the ALP, but is there hope in the fact that with the Greens, new members in the lower house, the senators and so on, that they could... Um, do what they promised to do as um, operating some sort of balance of power to push the ALP to the left and therefore actually we could be wrong about our projections here?
2: Well, I think firstly, um, there, you know, we should take some hope from the bigger vote that the Greens got in a lot of seats around the country um, because, you know, not all but a, you know, a chunk of those people are voting well, – trying to find and vote for something and support for something that is more left-wing than the Labour Party. Um, You know, so they're voting for, and obviously the Greens' policies on pretty much all issues were to the left of the Labour Party. You know, the policies that were more in favour of, uh, you know, workers' rights and obviously the climate, refugees, a number of issues like that. So I think it's um, a good sign for us that we see a bigger vote for the Greens. Um... In terms of uh, when it comes to what the Greens will actually be able to achieve, uh, I'm not that hopeful because for two reasons. One is that, well, firstly, just in a parliamentary sense, you know, the Labor did end up winning uh, a majority in the lower house. But even in the upper house where the Greens will have, you know, a, a lot of members and will have, you know, some say over what happens in the Senate. The reality is when Labor wants to do something, you know, that's the Greens think is kind of too... Outrageously right-wing, then the Labour can still get support from the Liberals or from others um, to support um, those kinds of things. Um, you know, so they'll still be able to drive through a lot of the kind of right-wing agenda. You know, uh, support for new gas and coal projects, um, some of those things. Uh, you know, and and they'll be able to use that and hold that over the Greens a bit. But I think the other side of it is also that the Greens themselves, you know, while you know a lot of people who vote for them are looking for something more radical. The Greens themselves, you know, historically anyway, have not been this party that has really tried to shake things up and really radicalise the situation and really take on, um, you know, the Labor government, destabilise politics to fight for more left wing things, and so on. Their strategy is still one of uh, parliament, you know, parliamentarism. They want to get a few more people elected into parliament and try to use that and form, you know, coalitions with the Labor Party or whatever it is to pr- put a little bit of pressure on get a bit more policy um, that they would like to see. But, uh, you know, that's not really where our power actually lies, you know, for all the reasons we talked about before, um, that the Labour Party will not feel this great pressure, I don't think, from the Greens to be left-wing. They'll ignore that. And the Greens, uh, I think, won't kick up a massive fuss about that. You know, we know that um, going into this election, the Greens talked about that their whole goal was to be the balance of power and to try to put a little bit of pressure on Labour in that direction. But if we look at the Greens in the last Labour government, you know, there was a moment in the last Labour government, the Rudd-Gillard years, uh, where they effectively did, uh, you know, were in coalition with the Labour Party in the lower house and they put very little pressure on them. Um, all they squeezed out of Labour in return for their support was a few very, you know, procedural, mostly kind of irrelevant things for the mass of people. So, yeah, I think um, that they're not going to be this force in parliament that massively drives things to the left. Obviously, hopefully they do put some pressure on them, you know, all the rest of it. But uh, I think we're going to have to not look to parliament to be the place where anything good is going to come about. We're going to need to look to the real power that we have, that the working class has, which is going to continue to be the need to build mass street movements, um, working class movements, strikes, you know, because of the very serious situation we're entering. Um, and not one where we can really think that the Greens are going to you know, drag Labor um, to the left.
0: Mm. Okay, so final question I just wanted to ask Liz, I think um, from a perspective of people who are not keen on joining the Labor Party anyway, and they weren't before they listened to this, but they might be involved in some kind of campaign work or interested in social justice questions, and I guess there's a lot of people who think we need something more radical what would your thoughts be on how to organise kind of in relation to a Labor government?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, sadly at the moment the level of social struggle in Australia is very low. It's at a very low ebb um, and so that's not a good sign entering into a, a Labor government given a lot of um, NGOs are very much kind of attached to the Labor Party, um, often get a lot of funding from the Labor Party you know, have seen as their strategy for change just getting a Labour Party um, elected, uh, so focusing their work on just targeting the Liberals by having rallies outside of Frydenberg's offices, that's what for instance the School Strike for Climate um, was engaged in, rather than the mass street mobilizations that was so central to putting uh, the demand for climate action on the public agenda. So so, yeah, there's obviously real challenges ahead to um, to make the case that our power that is not going to be through clever lobbying of the Labor uh, government, having endless meetings with Labor ministers, hoping that they'll somehow, um, you know, find a heart, uh, you need know, to actually look reality in the face and see that they're committed to... Running the system in the interests of the rich, so that means that we have to develop our own counterpower, as Josh was explaining. You know, our power, um, particularly to disrupt business as usual on the streets, and in, more importantly in the workplaces and the economy. We need to find our capacity to strike, to break some of those um, unfair industrial laws, if necessary, in order uh, to um, to hold the government to account. That's the kind of um, approach that we need, and in particular, we need to have those movements fueled by and anti-capitalist politics as well um, that understands that the problems with this system not just about this or that politician. It's not just a question of getting rid of Friedenberg and we'll finally have a you know a treasurer that will actually uh, care about working class living conditions. Um, instead, yeah, that the system is all about profits coming first. We need to fight for a politics that's about working class interests coming first. That the wealth that we generate should be held. Uh, in common, that should be democratically controlled. Our wealth, we should be able to democratically decide how it's, you know, how it's produced, where it's distributed, uh, and so on. And I think building an anti-capitalist response, a political response to the status quo, is so important given most of the discontent with the major parties, which we saw with this last federal election. You know, uh, some of the uh, lowest votes for both of the major parties on record. Uh, Instead of it being captured by a left-wing argument about the importance of solidarity, the importance of collective action, um, of working class people organising together, instead it's being um, channelled into the the hands of the far right. And the far right have done exceedingly well out of this um, federal election, even though they didn't win a lower house seat. They, nonetheless, were able to capture something like 15 to 20 percent of the vote when you look at their vote um, combined—the UAP, of One Nation, of other kind of lunatic far right uh, independents or or parties—that they were able to capture 15 to 20 percent of the vote in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, um, in the the west, in the north, and in in the east as well, Um, which is really. you know, very bad sign uh, and something that is really urgent for the left to combat. Um, and so we need to, you know, we're not by just sort of falling in behind, you know, the Labour Party asking nicely, that's not going to actually inspire anyone um, to think that, you know, we have any solutions to the problems. We need to build um, a radical left solution. And part of that is getting behind the Victorian Socialist Project. So Josh is right that the Greens are problematic in that they um, see Parliament as the main um arena for action that's all about the wheeling and dealing that happens in parliament. They don't have a strategy um, of building up um, a counter power outside of Parliament. Um, and ultimately they're they're also committed to working within the framework of capitalism. But Victorian socialists understand that we need to win greater platforms for the socialist movement. And some of that is in the streets and in the workplaces but also parliament can be an important platform for reaching hundreds of thousands of people with our message of hope of resistance of solidarity Uh, and so yeah at the end of this year there's an opportunity for an advance of the socialist movement if we could get someone elected to the upper house of the Victorian parliament it's really on the cards we could potentially win in the, the northern metro or the western metro and I think that that's Something that all people committed to social justice, um, for workers' um, rights, and so on, should get behind that push to get a socialist into parliament. To not to sort of have a cosy leather seat and and rub shoulders with um, those um, the, the the rest of the polit- political class, those scumbags. Instead, to use it as a you know a, a platform to denounce them, to to expose all of their crimes, um, and to give yeah heart to those uh, on the outside that an alternative is possible.
0: Yep, and we'll have more to say about that as we get closer to November as well in Victoria. I mean, and I think the important distinction that you made there, Liz, is that the Victorian Socialist is not a project that says um, parliamentary change can change the world, but it's a project that says we can use that parliamentary platform to build the kind of forces that we actually do need to change the world. So I think that's, um, yeah, really important. Thanks, Josh and Liz. We're going to wrap up and um, make sure that people continue to follow the coverage in Red Flag Newspaper. And one way to really make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe to the newspaper if you're not already a subscriber. What that means is, um, and it's a much better service, I have to say, than um, other subscriptions that I've had um, that I'm not going to. Uh, Name, But uh, it's reliably delivered every fortnight, your edition of uh, the Red Flag newspaper. If you are into reading an old school newspaper, you can do that. You can digitally subscribe as well and get the um, online editions, the full versions, which include some of the stories that are not um, featured on the website. So subscribe, uh, share this episode, listen to our other episodes of Red Flag Radio and um, join in any activism where when you find it and find out more about what you can do in your local area also through um the red flag website so you're listening to red flag radio the podcast we have a world to win